Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, you little stuffed. You got a little tryptophan in there. A little sleepy, me too, from the turkey. Have you decorated? How many of you have decorated for Christmas a little bit? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. You put up a tree, got the lights out. So here's the thing about Christmas and lights. We have some lights up. We put up Friday and the days that followed, you know, the next day. Let's see, one, two, three, four, four trees, I think is what we put up. But they're not really decorated. This is how we do it. We just kind of shove them up and throw them up. And we, we do this by bringing them up from downstairs. That's how we do it. They're not even in boxes anymore. We've given that up. We don't even take them apart anymore. And uh, now, if I could go back four years ago to tell my four years ago younger self, I would say this. Don't waste the money on a pre-lit tree. Um, it's just frustrating because they die. You know, I mean, they, you think they're going to live and you got this warranty. You can't remember where you put the warranty card. Lights are just such a deal for Christmas. But it is the light that makes Christmas Christmas, isn't it? And so this verse that's here on the, on the screen, this is kind of navigate, help us kind of find our way. It's going to be our compass for the Advent season, and it will help us understand the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so what we desire to do through this Advent series and season is contrast and understand lightness and darkness and their relationship. Now, I love how lights dominate during Christmas. Even in our community, this happens. Uh, some of you were at the star lighting, a whole, you know, apparently thousands of you were, so some of you had to be. And I love the star being lit during the Christmas season. I love that the town lit it during at least the, the last, you know, after Christmas, during the, the pandemic beginning. They, they lit it then just to remind us that even in dark times, there is, there is hope. And this... This star just calls us home. We're coming down 25, you just crest the hill up there and you see in the far distance this, this light, this star, this lit. And we love, we love the light. And the reason why we love the light is because darkness creeps in and begins to encroach on your time the closer we get to the end of the year. In fact, darkness has been creeping in since June 20th, the longest day of the year, the summer solstice. We had the most daylight we'll ever have on June 20th of this year. And ever since then, to the tune of about a minute or two a day, darkness has been creeping in slowly, slowly, slowly until December 21st. It will be as dark as it can be all throughout the year, the winter solstice. That's the darkest, longest night of the year. There's a town in our country it's up in Alaska. Uh, it used to be called Barrow, Alaska. It's not called Barrow anymore. They named it according to the people that lived there and that we uh, changed. The missionaries came in, changed their culture, and actually changed the name of their town. And so thoughtfully and carefully, they renamed it back to what it should be. And uh, this is, this is Yugavik. It's a little hard to say, but it represents the people that call this place home and have for hundreds and hundreds of years it's the northernmost town, northernmost city in our country. And on November 18th, the sun set on this little town of about 4,000 people, and the sun will not rise again until January 22nd. Can you imagine? I mean, that's just incredible to think about. In fact, here's a picture of Yukovic. It's uh, That's daytime and that's nighttime. There's not really much of a difference. The, the sun, you know, the glow from the sun you know, for 
a little bit of this time just kind of comes over the horizon, but they will not see the sun again until January 22nd. Now, it's interesting that, um, of course, the opposite will occur in the summer. In the summer, they will experience 80 straight days of the sun not setting. The sun will come down near the horizon and just kind of hang out there for a little while and then go straight back up. And it will be daylight for 80 straight days. And I'll be honest, when I think about the winter there or the summer there, I don't know which would be worse. Do you? Do you know which would be worse? I mean, I like, I like nighttime. I sure like some daytime. I mean, seasonal affective disorder is real. And uh, I can't imagine how many folks are on antidepressants in, in Rukovic. But I'd say there's probably a few. If, if Advent is anything, if it's anything, it's this. It's a journey from darkness to light. If you didn't grow up in a church that uses the word Advent or celebrates Advent, just celebrates Christmas, then you have missed the journey from darkness to light. Advent purists won't even sing of or speak of the birth of Jesus until Christmas Eve, mainly Christmas Day, the purists, because there is a a waiting that has to happen, and this waiting happens in darkness. And it is a journey from darkness to light. Now, we in the church and in, in most churches, Advent isn't really a thing that is observed, you know, just legalistically or, or very purely because we want to rush to Christmas. Christmas is the deal. We want the light. We, we like light because we aren't sure what to do with darkness. But during this Advent season, I want us to thoughtfully consider and reflect on the relationship between darkness and light. In our world, how we see it, how we think, how we see God and what he does, but even our own perceptions, our own understanding, our own beliefs about darkness and light, because you have some. You have some thoughts about darkness and light, and some of them are theological, though you wouldn't use that word. Some of them are incredibly practical, some feelings you have about darkness and light. And some of you address this in a variety of different ways in your life, but we want to think about the relationship between darkness and light, what they mean to us, and what Scripture says about it. Because collectively, it matters to us and our faith, darkness and light. And some of our perceptions about these two things, they're helpful and even instructive as we live our lives our opinions and our thoughts about darkness and light. And some of our understanding or even beliefs about darkness and light are not helpful and prohibitive and need to be taken apart, maybe even deconstructed. How many of you remember when you were growing up that you were afraid of the darkness? Let me see your hands. You were afraid of the darkness. It's okay, it's church, you can confess. Put them up again. One more time. Just look around. You're in good company. That's, how many of you are still afraid of the dark? Let me see your hands. See, that's more honest. Those are honest people. There's, uh, even now. Because the fourth and fifth graders are gone. So you can be honest about this. You're still afraid of the dark. I, I, you remember, if you were young and little, being afraid of the dark, maybe a specific place in your house that was particularly dark that you were afraid of? Where was it? Do you remember where it was? You can say it out loud. Well, I'll, I'll repeat it for the online folk that are, that are watching. Do you remember where it was? What's that? Out by the trash cans. Oh, out by the trash cans. Well, you should be afraid of that, sir. That's, um, <laughs> D.C. was afraid of it. The smell alone would keep you away. Where else? Where else? Hallways. Hallways. 
Basement, yeah, basement can be pretty dark. Basements can be the creepiest place of all. Somebody in first service, I don't know if this resonates with you or not, said under their bed. How many of you were afraid of under the bed? Let me see your hands. Okay, still afraid of under the bed? Yeah, I mean, you should be. There's, you don't know, you haven't been under there for a, who knows what's under there, right? Mostly just with the vacuum cleaner, you just stick it under and leave the dust ruffle down and just get what you get, right? I remember when I was little being afraid of downstairs, our downstairs, we had a split foyer. So when you came in the house, you'd go upstairs or downstairs. And downstairs, it was running in a basement. We didn't call it a basement. It was just, it was about half underground. And I remember every now and then, uh, it was dark outside and dark in the basement or downstairs. Mom would say, hey, could you run down? And you know, she'd send me on an errand to get something from the basement. I knew exactly where the light switch was on the other side of the wall. So that my hand, I'd get to the bottom of the stairs and I would reach around and hit the light switch before my head would enter into the sphere of the downstairs. As if, you know, the light, of course, would scatter any of the creepy crawlies or anybody that wasn't supposed to be there would suddenly hide and leave me alone when I hit that light. And this was because, and the reason you have the feelings you do about your basement or your attic or some place in your house that was dark because we're afraid of the unknown. And when it's dark in the room, you can't see what you can't see. The unknown is, is scary to us. When I was little and had friends in the neighborhood, I was a free-range kid. You know, we grew up before all the rules and all the regulations so we could go out in the neighborhood and play with all the other kids. And mom would say, that's fine. You can go out and play, you know, and, and be with your buddies and your friends. Just come home before what? Before dark, right, before dark. And this was a, an instruction that I understood and the impl implication or what mom was trying to say to me is there are some things that happen after dark we don't want you outside for, I guess, there are some things that you can't handle or may, maybe you shouldn't see or, you know, it's not unsafe. It's not, not good for you to be there out after dark. And so you need to come home. And of course, I knew, I was young enough to know that darkness comes at different times depending on the time of year and it changes. And so I would say, well, how will I know when that is? How will I know when dark is? And she would say, well, you know what she said. Somebody already said it. Come home before the, when the street lights come on, it's time for you to head to the house. And I could go, you know, seven houses up and five houses down. And the older I get, the further those boundaries stretched. And I understood darkness to be something that is to be a bit afraid of. You should not be out in the dark. But then me and my buddies, my friends in the neighborhood, we wanted to do things outside that were better in the dark. And maybe you remember this too. We, we wanted to play games that only really worked in the dark. And we, we wanted to play things like hide-and-seek. You know, we play hide-and-seek in the neighborhood. And, and we, we learned this game that we played all through the summer and, and even sometimes in the cold, in the cold winters in Kentucky. Uh, kick the can. Anybody grow up playing kick the can? Uh, we had our version of kick the can, and we play that. And, and that those are so much better in the dark. And so as I got old enough, Mom would say, you know, yeah, you can hang out with Larry, your older brother, out in the dark. And there was a sense that I had grown enough or had enough experience or enough maturity or maybe enough strength as a young man that I could handle the dark. And the dark wouldn't be dangerous to me. The dark wouldn't be a problem for me. I could be adult enough to be in it and experience it. Maybe you remember that too. For some of you who aren't afraid of the dark anymore, there was a moment in time when you sort of overcame that fear and decided it was something that you needed to put behind you. And so 
Maybe you, in one brave moment, got down on the floor and lift, lifted up your dust rustle and decided darkness will not scare me anymore. You walked into the attic to get the thing that nobody thought you would go for, and you did, and you decided darkness is, is no longer going to be something that intimidates me or creates fear or anxiety in me. And so, not that we've conquered it, but maturity and strength means that we can coexist with it. We can handle it. And then, somewhere along the way, in church world, I learned a different perspective on darkness. And if you grew up in the church through youth group or some experience in church, you grabbed onto this understanding of darkness as well. In the Christian subculture circles, I would soon learn that darkness is almost always associated with bad things. How many of you remember learning that at church at some point or another? Let me see your hands. That darkness means evil's present. Darkness is to be associated with people who want to do things that don't want to be seen. And so the only reason you would want to be in darkness is because you don't want to get caught. And this is what we were told. It kind of coincided with, you know, adolescence and teenage living. And I confess, I used the same logic with my boys to keep them out of places I didn't want them to be. We said it this way as parents, and we heard something similar in church, that nothing good happens after midnight. And so if you want to be there, it must be because you want something that isn't good. And I would think, well, I mean, that's at least partly true, but it's not all true. But I began to learn that, spiritually speaking, darkness is to be closely associated or almost synonymous with evil or separation from God or God's absence or people who want to be about things they shouldn't be doing. And at the same time, I was being asked to reconcile two thoughts that I couldn't reconcile. One is that God is everywhere. And the second is, he's not wherever it's dark. That if it's dark, God is absent. Somehow, God is not a part of the darkness. And darkness was always associated with spiritual or, in the Christian sense, negativity or bad things. And well-meaning, good-intentioned people use Scripture to teach this and to make it obvious and plain. In fact, we can say this all together. Let's read it together. God is light, and in him there is And of course, this was used to help me understand the idea that if you want anything to do with darkness, if, if darkness is associated with you or anything that you do or think or feel, then God is not a part of it, and he's very far from that. And the only way for you to overcome this is to, well, as they say, at the appropriate time, move toward the light. That God and darkness are somehow completely separate and very different and almost the opposites of each other. And this, of course, is a deep and significant part of most Christian theology that, well, if God is light, then the opposite must be evil, not good, not beneficial. And it is true God is light. That couldn't be more plain. It's very simple. And it is true that in him there is no darkness at all. But what this verse or any verse in Scripture doesn't say is that if there is darkness, that God is absent. 
It doesn't say that at all. But it's implied, and that's what was taught to me. And so when it comes to darkness and things that are dark, spiritually or metaphorically speaking, most of us have been taught the idea that darkness represents evil, that nothing good happens in the dark, that there are places that are devoid of God and they are dark, and, and darkness, in fact, is to be feared. And so somehow, as a 16, 17, 25-year-old, I was back to the same thoughts that I had when I was young and afraid of the dark, except now darkness was a metaphor for all the things that either I didn't understand or didn't seem very closely related to God. Darkness is to be feared. It's devoid of God, and you should run from it. And then life happens to us. And when trouble happens to us or difficulty comes our way, well, we'll say it this way. If, if darkness is a metaphor, and Scripture uses it not exclusively, but at least as much as a metaphor as an actual reality, if darkness is a metaphor, then it could represent any one of these things. And you have experienced these things as well. In fact, if you just look at the list on the screen there, and you could add your own difficulty or painful experience, but I bet there's at least one or two or maybe more that are listed up here that hit you pretty close to home and that can even bring back some of the feelings that you're feeling now, darkness feelings, or feelings that you felt at a time when Well, God seemed distant. Maybe other people seemed a bit uninterested or opposed to your depression or your anxiety or your fear. But all of these things represent what we would call dark times in our life. All of a sudden, the darkness metaphor extends to my life or my experience, your life and your experience. And if it is a metaphor, and it is, and we experience these dark times, and we do. Some of you are experiencing them right now. I didn't get that. Could you try again? No, I can't. <laughs> Siri. So if it is a metaphor, and you're going through this right now, and you wouldn't hesitate in a second to refer to it to a friend or a therapist or a, a neighbor as a dark time that you're experiencing, well, now all of a sudden we have a problem it's a pretty significant problem because we have separated God from all things dark. We have decided that God is not a part of the darkness, that he is separate and distant from it, that they are antithetical or opposites to each other. And what that would mean, and what some of you have concluded, is that when you go through a period of depression, that God is nowhere near you. Because if you knew God, if you knew his love, well, depression wouldn't be a part of your life. Or, since Jesus teaches against worry and anxiety, that if you're feeling anxiety, it means that you simply don't trust God and he has moved further on up the road and is hanging out with some other people that are much less dark, happy all the time, and trust him with every part of their life. It could be that some of us have come to the conclusion that if darkness is a metaphor, and spiritually speaking, darkness and light are opposites and do not belong together, 
if that's the case, then anytime we experience any of these things, then it is very hard for us to see God in the middle of it. That he can't be there when I'm anxious, and he certainly isn't a part of my doubts. He just wants me to believe and talk to anyone who's gone through a diagnosis or a chronic illness, and they will tell you that this myth about darkness and light has deeply affected their experience of faith and that has been a hurdle for them to overcome. These ideas of darkness and light, they're all through Scripture. They're on the very first pages of Scripture, and they permeate the story even of Revelation. And when we get ready to celebrate Christmas, when we're going through the Advent season, the relationship between darkness and light, well, it is inextricable. You cannot separate the two. But what if they aren't opposites? What if they don't oppose one another? What if their relationship is different than that? The scripture you heard during the the candle lighting was this out of Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great what? We see it again. The relationship between the two. They have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness... A light has dawned. There is an incredible beauty to the contrast of darkness and light. And this beauty is only made possible by the two of them being present together. When you pull one out and you only have one present, well, you simply just have dark or you have light. When we, you did the same thing, you probably did it at home. You do it every year if you haven't yet. When we set up our Christmas lights, we, we, we do it mostly during the daytime, okay? We're trying to get it done, you know, by the time night falls, we're ready to sit and watch something on TV or just, you know, stuff our faces with something and eat and eat and eat until we fall asleep in front of the TV. So we try to do the decorating during the daytime. And we, this is what we do. I pull out all these lights that we packed away, you know, 11 months ago. And I do the same thing you do. I plug them all in, and 90% of them don't work. I don't understand this. They worked when I put them away. Do you store lights that don't work? No, you don't store lights that don't work. They go in the trash can. And this, this strand of lights, it worked 11 months ago. I placed it. I've, now I'm placing it into a box for safekeeping. And I pull it out the same way, and I plug it in. All of a sudden, it doesn't work. I, somebody from Walmart comes to my house and bangs all my lights around so that they don't work. So I end up back at their store to buy more lights. And so we put all these lights up and we put them on the tree and we do all the things that we do. And then, you know, we're kind of done decorating, but it's still daylight. We have no idea what it looks like. But when the sun sets, we walk out to the edge, down by the sidewalk, out in front of the house. Why? Well, that's, when, that's when light is beautiful. Do you understand this? Light is beautiful when it's dark outside. This is the relationship between light and darkness. It is so important that we grasp it. The first time you come home after you put up your Christmas tree and all your lights, whatever you light up during the Christmas season, even if you just put a tree near a window, the first time you come around the corner to your house when it's dark outside, you look and you ooh and you ah and you say, that's, that's what we want. This is beautiful. Look, the relationship between light and darkness, it's critical that you and I begin to rethink what we think about darkness because of the relationship between the two. Because if we don't, then we will misunderstand God's very nature. And you will find yourself 
in a moment of depression or anxiety and assume that God has left the building, but he hasn't. He is with you in it. He is present right in the middle of it. There's nothing in Scripture that that implies or suggests that God is not inhabiting the darkness. He inhabits the darkness with you. In fact, I could point you to Scripture after Scripture and will for the month of December that helps you understand and maybe rethink your understanding of the relationship between light and darkness. It's not that one is good and one is bad or that God is here and he's not here or that one is holy and one is evil. That's not true at all. They work with each other. I I wish... I wish when I had hit, at least late adolescence, somebody had told me faith-wise, theologically speaking, how God is and how he works, and that these two things are not oppositional. They are complementary. And they work together in such a way that only because of each other can you begin to find your way. I was under the impression this was all good and this was all bad. And then when I found myself doubting, I assumed God was absent from it. When I find myself with a diagnosis, I assume God had nothing to do with it. When I found myself dealing with anxiety or fear or worry, I came to the conclusion that that must be evil and something I shouldn't even acknowledge or embrace or lean into. In fact, it's better to just deny it like all things in darkness. And God is saying the opposite is absolutely true, that until you learn to understand how light and darkness work together, Only then can you see the fullness and the wholeness of God and even the fullness and the wholeness of who you have been made to become in Christ. This is the relationship between light and dark. And so if you, like me, have long held the opinion, the erroneous myth that darkness is evil and to be shunned and God has nothing to do with it, This month, our hope and our prayer will be that God will help you deconstruct that idea and leave it alone because there are places of darkness within you that God wants to be invited into. And there are people who are going through darkness that want your help and they want to invite you into those places. But if you hold the theological opinion that one is good and one is bad, you won't know what to do with your own darkness. And you'll have no idea what to do with your daughters or your sons or your spouses. And God is inviting you to a different place during this Advent season. Isaiah, the prophet, that told us about light and darkness in chapter 9. Here's what he says in chapter 45. Same prophet, same time frame, same message. He says this, and I will give you treasures. Where are they? Say it with me. Ready? Hidden in. Can you imagine what treasures God has hidden in the darkness for you? You know this to be instinctively true that there are things God has taught you through pain and struggle and loneliness and despair that you could have learned no other way. True? 
hidden treasures in darkness. Then he says this, I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. Now, you you could read this and mistakenly think he's talking to you, about you, and for you, and that's not true. Uh, This is, you know, hundreds of years before you were born. Some scriptures have a universal truth to them, and they're repeated all throughout the Bible. But in this case, Isaiah is prophesying to Cyrus the Great, who was a pagan king over Persia and Babylon. This happened during the time of the Israelites' um, captivity, Babylonian captivity. They had rebelled and worshipped idols, and God brought some foreign powers in and dispersed them all, and... A lot of them went up to Babylonia, were in captivity and enslaved, and then God brought to the throne King Cyrus the Great, who did not know God, and God says, even in this dark time of captivity, even during this time of a pagan king who does not even know me, I will help you find treasures hidden in the darkness. In the same passage, this is what Isaiah says about God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. True for all people, all times, all places. Now, he's going to divulge the truth that is true for you and me. I create the light, and I make the what? You thought God just had to make light. You thought darkness was just there because light wasn't there. That's not true. God makes the darkness too, and he makes the light. He makes them both. And he puts them together, and they work together. I create the light, and I make the darkness. I send the good times and what? And the bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. So this Advent season, you're being invited to be thoughtful and reflective about your perceptions, your beliefs, your convictions about light and about darkness. Sometimes the darkness is in here and we don't know what to do with it. Sometimes it's out here and we want to correct it or shun it or smack it back into place. Sometimes it's between us, a relationship that has gone sour. God's inviting you to understand the darkness And even make it your friend. You remember what it was like when you decided you weren't afraid anymore. And you peeked under the bed and saw the cobwebs. And maybe you saw a little something you didn't know what it was. The shape surprised you, but it was just because you couldn't see it all. Then your heart beat fast and then you calmed back down. At some point you decided to make a friend of the darkness. Well, this is why the New Testament says that perfect love casts out what? All fear. So you don't want to be afraid of the darkness. Not anymore. Not the literal darkness or the metaphorical darkness that rises up. The depression, and the anxiety, and the illness, and the loss, and the loneliness, and the discouragement, and the sadness, and the tension between you and another person. God wants to be invited into that space. And what he does, he brings his light to bear on it. That's what he's inviting you to do. So the worship team's coming up. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. Maybe we'll encourage you to lean this direction because in the middle of darkness, we are promised hope. And that hope comes with God's light. And with his light, everything changes. 
It's a story of Advent. Let's pray together. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we meet you in this moment. And there are some of us here online that when we think about darkness, most of our thoughts are negative, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking. Um, and Lord, how, how could they not be? Darkness represents some of the hardest things we've been through. And yet, Lord, we admit that this experience of darkness is universal. Most of us in the room confess to our fear of darkness earlier in life. Most of us are honest enough to admit that in some ways we're still a bit afraid of the dark. And Lord, metaphorically, we are quite afraid of the dark. We don't know what to do with it, the difficult times. We don't know how to take them apart, go through them, experience them with maybe a bit of grace or faith or love. But Lord, we also recognize that of all of us listening and participating in this today at home and in this place, that most of us are experiencing a bit of darkness, our outlook, our feelings, frustration, anger. Lord, if we deny the darkness, we'll only be subject to it. If we pretend like it's not there, then we can't deal with it or address it. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage to move into the place where the darkness resides, maybe feels overwhelming and certainly a bit scary. And we know, Lord, that you are with us, that you will never leave us, and so we invite you into those places too. And we listen to your voice. And we hear your, your still, small, thoughtful whisper say to us that you can be trusted, that we can surrender to you. Lord, we can go through this journey of advent, of darkness to light, because we understand what's coming. We know that on that night that your son was born, that the light that would break the darkness for all mankind came into the world. And so we ask that as we go through this month, that we would not fear the darkness, knowing that the light is with us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. We all say together, amen.